Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Stratcom Live podcast. It's the small business and nonprofit marketing podcast. And you know what? We are here to help you grow your nonprofit or your small business by giving you excellent marketing advice that's going to help you out. And I'll tell you what, we've had some pretty good results with this podcast, right, Kelsey? Yeah, we absolutely have. And I'm sorry, I'm still sitting here laughing at what we were talking about five <laughs> seconds before we went on. <laughs> You're sitting here trying to do our intro. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about the our, our intention with this episode and what what we're going to do with it. And it's, uh, I don't know, I, it's, it's one of the funnier things <laughs> that I think we've come up with. So... Yeah, I love I love that we can goof off and have fun because Oh sure. Well that's the best that's the best part of this too, you know, to to be informative, but it's also just talking to people and just being ourselves. And that's the best part of it. The best part. Well, like I feel like if everybody like we've been doing this together, whether it's for other people and other companies or whatever for years now. I mean almost ten years, like that we've been doing this together, right? Yeah. Uh, and so looking back, like, I think our relationship has always been us goofing off. And if, if we, you know, like, I wonder how many gifts and memes we have sent each other in the process of every communication we have about everything. Uh, so. We can check the analytics on that. We have, our, <laughs> we have a, a, a several episodes on analytics. If you want to check those out as well. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> check out the analytics so- on that. So uh, before we get into the nuts and bolts of all this, let's talk about our podcast success. We had some really awesome news. Uh, so we launched uh, a couple weeks ago, and we were looking at those analytics, and we were in the top eight. Now, given that changes, but basically our podcast launch landed us in that first week in the top eight in the nonprofit category. That in is the United States. In the United States. In yeah. the United on, States and, and, on, on iTunes. Or, yeah, iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. But that's still massive. And uh, so I scrolled through the other day and I'm watching. And that ranking will um, move up and down every day based on who's releasing podcasts and what listens they are. Like those rankings are finicky, right? Like, but like we've been as high as eight and we were like, we're still hovering in that top hundred. Right. Which, which is huge. That's huge. Uh, how, how many did you say in the, no- uh, in, the me, non-profit, in the nonprofit category? In the nonprofit category out of like 8,000. 8,000. So, yeah. Yeah, which that's, that's huge, solid. dude. Like, yeah, that is solid. And that that what that tells me as a podcaster is that okay, what we're doing has an impact on the people that that we're trying to reach. That they appreciate the content that we're putting out there. So we're going to keep putting it out there. And uh, and and by the way, if you're listening to this and you're like, I just love Kelsey and Josh and the way they have that witty banter and the way they they inform my life on small business and nonprofit marketing. And if that's you then we want you to share this podcast episode with somebody. We want you to uh, like leave a rating and a review on whatever platform you're listening to. If you're watching this on YouTube, then we want you to you know, like, comment, share, subscribe, all the stuff that the influencers tell you to do because that helps us. That tells the, the robot algorithm overlords that control everything that these two real human people that aren't AIs are actually good people and that we're doing good things. So- Help us out. <laughs> I might be a robot. You don't know. You're right. I've never seen you and a robot in the same place. <laughs> that's, that's something. 
in a robot. <laughs> I'm secretly I'm secretly the robot from Rocky Four. Do you remember that robot? The Happy Birthday Polly robot. Oh yeah, yeah. Happy Birthday Polly. Did, <laughs> did you see? Did, did you see the robot that uh, they just instituted in New York for surveillance? And it it literally just looks like a big like white chocolate drop with like blue police markings and it just goes around town like like it wheels around <laughs> like they tried to make it so it's like indestructible but it is like like you know exactly what's going to happen to that robot <laughs> in new york what, what's going to happen to it like it's going to get tagged with graffiti it's going to get I, pushed I, okay that was my first thought smacked with hammers I mean, the same thing that would happen. The same thing that would happen to me if I just roamed around New York City. <laughs> just, I just picture like some some crackhead coming up and just smashing on this thing with a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna get caught in a dark alley and have really bad things happen to it. Oh man, yeah, some terrible stuff. <laughs> it's well, gonna be a robot with. It's gonna have addiction problems and. <laughs> It's gonna start hanging out with some very seedy be, people. It's it's gonna be pole dancing at at, at Lucky Lucky's for oh. tips. <laughs> so anyway, we're off base here. That's great. Yeah. Hey, you know what we should probably do because we never do this because we just get started talking. Uh huh. Who, who are we again? <laughs> right. Well, I'm we Jack. Get, we get started talking, and then like five minutes later, we're like, "Oh yeah, by the way, yeah. this is who we are." Yeah, yeah. In case you don't know who we are, I'm Josh Hatcher, and I am the vice president of client success at Grand River Agency and the co-host here at Stratcom Live. And uh, my dad was a professional clown, which is probably why I'm the way I am. And who are you? I don't really remember. Honestly, no. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> I don't know someone. Uh, my name is uh, Kelsey Bowden, and I am the president and founder of Grand River Agency. Also, a co-host of this. And my dad was a police officer. Really? <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have a we're gonna have like a bring your dad to school day kind of thing, like that'd, career that'd day. Be awesome. That'd be awesome. Except my dad's dead. Yeah. Did you did you just say really? <laughs> like. Your dad's you, knew really my, you knew my dad was a cop, right? No, I didn't know your dad was a cop. Yeah, my dad was a detective uh -huh. in the Amherst Police Department up by Buffalo. Yep. It was he wasn't a robot then? He was no, he wasn't a robot. No, he was a police. Yeah. He was you know he was a patrolman and then a lieutenant and then a, you know later in his career he was a detective. Yep. So that's awesome. That's very cool. Yeah, that was really cool. We actually um, when he retired from the police force, like he still was doing private investigator work. Mm -hmm. And that was when I was, I was in my early teens at that point. And he would bring me along. Like he was investigating like insurance fraud claims, you know? Mm -hmm. So he would go out and he would try to get people that were, you know, they said that they had broken their back or something like that, but you know, they're out playing softball or they're out like fixing their roof or something, doing things that otherwise say they are not physically disabled or whatever. So, so he would um, take me out on stakeout, stakeouts? He would take me along. Yeah, sometimes. Because awesome. um, I mean, like in low stakes situations, we're just in some neighborhood and dad's sitting there, you know, it sometimes it would be late at night and he had a, 
a, a van, like, you know, something aside from his normal vehicle that he would drive. And we would go and <laughs> we would go and, you know, stake out this place and he would just be doing his job basically. And then afterwards he'd take me to go get ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And I was that's like, weird. yeah, that's sweet. Very cool. We are going on so many tangents today. Okay. I know. Yeah, we have a lot, a lot of stories because I've had a lot of coffee. I'm sorry. That's all right. So uh, <clears throat> since we like to tell stories and ask questions, here's a good time for a couple of questions that are fun uh, that help. We, we've, we've already gotten to know each other really well now in this conversation. I found out that your dad was a cop and you found out that my dad was a professional clown, which I think I you knew, know. I knew about your dad, though. Yeah. I wrote that blog post about, about you and your dad being a clown like oh, eight did. years you ago. Did. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. You sent, you, you sent me a picture that we were using as the feature art for it. It was a picture. Yeah. Of, I, th I think it was a picture of your dad. Yeah, I think so. I think or so. Whatever. That was awesome. Yeah. I forgot all about that. Yeah. Okay. So, that was so, the best blog I ever wrote. You should, you should write it again. Yes. So that we can get credit for it. <laughs> that was a different okay. job, folks. I know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Quick question for you. Uh, what is the strangest food you've ever eaten? Ah, okay. So anticipating this question, because I was looking through this, the notes here, um, I think I had explained before, like, I'm kind of a foodie. I will eat literally anything, you know? So food never really registers to me, even like, like ethnic foods. If I've gone someplace, traveled somewhere, what have you, like nothing really registers to me is, is strange. So, um, I might try something I like, you know, I might try something that's like, would be strange to somebody else, you know, <laughs> like, like calamari like eating squid or something like that. But to me, that's just normal, you know? So that doesn't really, and I mean like, and even if I don't really, really like it, I appreciate it generally for, mm -hmm. you know, I can understand why a certain culture would, would enjoy this or consider this food a delicacy with the exception of one thing. And it took me a while to rack my brain on this. So the strangest food, the only thing that I can actually consider straight escargot. Mm -hmm. I had it in, yeah. I, I had it in college with uh, an ex-girlfriend, a girlfriend at the time. And I was so excited to try it. And when I, it was just, when I tried it, it was just rubbery and there wasn't, it was a weird taste and stuff. So I was, it, the whole time I was thinking like my cat just, every time that we record something, my cat jumps in the room. He hears you talking. Open the door. <laughs> um, I remember thinking like, this is a delicacy. Like this isn't, this isn't even remotely good. So but yeah, escargot would be my strangest. What about for you, bud? Um, so I'm gonna say squid pizza. When I was in uh, when okay. I was in Morocco, when I was in Morocco, we had a layover. We stopped at this restaurant and had pizza, and it, had, it was like a seafood pizza. But the only only thing on it was calamari, which I didn't realize and understand. I had never had it before, um, and it was amazing, and I loved it. But it was definitely weird. It was not what you would expect to have on a pizza. But it was really good. Right. Pizza crust was like really thin and crispy. Uh, and like the, the tomatoes were fresh. You know, it was really, really good. I actually really enjoyed it. But it was not something that you would ever think, oh, you know what would be great on pizza? Squid. 
That's that's the strangest thing I've ever eaten. Oh man, I just I love just the taste of aftershave and taco meat. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, that that combination just really really gets me going. I, I would put that on anything aftershave and taco meat. Yep. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yep. Okay. What's the other question? Well, let me scroll. That uh, I got to find it here because it keeps jumping around. Uh, the other question. Oh, when you're watching TV or scrolling or scrolling, or scrolling the internet, um, what is something that will stop you and you will watch it every time? Okay. Are you talking about like us? If there's a certain like movie or show that is on or whatever, or, or anything it, like it could, it could be a movie or show, or it could be something else. But like, if you're flipping through and you see it and you, always will stop and watch what it is. Right. Well, I mean, like if you're talking about like a movie or a show or something, if I'm flipping through and like Titanic is on, I I, I typically give it a few seconds and like, we'll at least like watch it or whatever. But I wasn't thinking of that though. I was thinking of like, you know, when you're sitting there mindlessly scrolling or whatever, um, like whatever would, would get me to stop on social media and actually like look at it. Um, I get a lot mm-hmm. of, like ads for um like golf trainers and baseball trainers because those are two of my athletic interests or whatever so there's a lot of like instructional videos that pop up because the algorithm is feeding that to me um instructional mm-hmm. videos and like highlight videos of not even professional athletes but just like you know really good golfers that are like influencers in the industry today, like them playing a hole or something like that. So like if I come across that and I see, you know, a a video of, you know, some, some golf instruction thing or whatever, or just like a, uh, it's, it, it usually is an instruction thing. It's a guy, you know, talking about, or a woman uh, talking about like how to hit your irons, cleaner you know how, how to you know get more distance off the tee like that sort of stuff so I, like that stuff I'll, I'll watch a lot of like the baseball videos that that'll come up will be like uh some sort of a training facility where they're like training amateur pitchers or whatever because i was a pitcher you know what back in my day when i played that was one of the positions i played um and like i it'll it'll show them working on like throwing breaking pitches sliders curveballs or whatever like and i'll i'll just i'll, I'll kind of geek out on that they're usually kind of short form video type things mm-hmm. and sometimes it's showing it's showing some pitcher who's throwing like 97 miles an hour and it's like right there behind home plate or something and it's just really cool to watch him throwing gas so that yeah. if i Those see always... that stuff i usually stop and, and pay attention to it and Does because i uh, no, not at all. That seems very much in line. And those those things, because you do it, right? Especially on social, not so much on cable TV, but on social. Definitely because on you, social, yep. Because you watch that whole video, it will then serve you another one like it. Sure. Which is really cool. Yep. Okay, so for me, are you ready? For me, the thing that will always capture my attention, and it's for the same for both. There's two. There's two things that will always get me to stop and watch. And the first one is Family Feud with Steve Harvey. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You would, 
I don't like sit there and watch the show all the time because it's like I think I feel like the show. I mean, I will if I'm flipping right, but (laughs) but I don't have cable TV either. So like, if we're like in an Airbnb somewhere and we're flipping, that that one will always stop me. And the other thing that always stops me is the Andy Griffith show. And like, I found this channel that shows like little clips from the Andy Griffith show. And for whatever reason, I'm transported back to being a little boy and watching the reruns on TBS. And I'm like, it hits me every time. I'm like, I love this. Like, you need to make TV like this again. <laughs> Family Feud with Steve Harvey. With that show, anytime that I see it, like, you know how his reaction, because like the topic that they will have set up is something that is like overtly sexual. Or it could be taken, you know, and like, and then he acts, he acts surprised when (laughs) some woman or or some participant says something that might be a little bit off color. It's like, dude, you're, (laughs) that's the only logical question here. And it's going to have something to do with a body part that we don't want to talk about. Right, right. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Yeah, I could get I like for the for the sheer entertainment value of it, I get that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but the fact that he's surprised, I'm like, dude, come on. <laughs> you knew someone was going to mention that body part <laughs> <laughs> or that activity. <laughs> well, and which actually is a really good seg- segue into our topic today, dude. So, it is actually very the, good. The title of our episode is a little bit off color. <laughs> <laughs> The title is Nonprofits. What the f- are you thinking? <laughs> so, yep, we are going to go, we're going to delve into that. And it's going to be specifically dealing with the philosophies behind and the priorities behind communicating your nonprofit message for the purpose of not only serving you, serving the individuals and systems that you look to improve but also building the capacity through marketing and fundraising um, that kind of want to talk about like maybe the confluence of all of those activities where most of the nonprofits out there, especially the very small nonprofits with, you know, limited budgets and resources that might consider all of these different communications activities separately, as opposed to all part of the same process. So when we say, what the f- are you thinking? We're not definitely not calling you out where you are, you know, if that's, if that's where you are or, you know, something that you have yet to come around to understanding in your own nonprofit management, it's not to bring you down or anything. It's just a, I guess a catchy title for this more yeah. than anything and to hammer right. home a point. That's all. Right. Well, and the other side of that is, and it's not that we're calling you out and saying, oh, you're doing everything wrong, but it is a matter of- We would never do that. The whole point is to be helpful. Right. But but at the same time, there are mindsets and attitudes that a lot of nonprofits will adopt that I think are actually, they end up being toxic to their own detriment without them even really understanding that it is. And so what we're calling out is not, your inability to do something or, or the way that you're doing it, but rather some of these mindsets that somebody told you that you have allowed to be important when they're not, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, I, I guess a good way to kind of frame this conversation is by discussing 
a new client that we are bringing on board. It is a small nonprofit client that is, you know, in our local area um, mm -hmm. where they originally approached us. And this was about six months ago, if not more. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Coffee is. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, they originally approached us and the primary focus of that conversation was strictly grant writing was securing our services because I mean, they had been doing grant writing. That's it. Just grant writing in house. They had been doing that by and it was being done by committee on the board of directors, just a couple people who just had a skill set in English, mm -hmm. essentially, um, mm -hmm. that were being tasked with, you know, bringing in the funds, the lifeblood of this organization, bringing in the funding. Um, and so they were focusing more on on that and they were wondering why they're um they weren't having as much success not that they weren't having any success but as much success is what they really needed to do to hit their fundraising goals and there were other elements of their outreach that were completely missing and if not missing, they were completely underblown, underwhelming the, the different the different parts of their their digital marketing presence and their community outreach that just it, 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 it left funders, it left funders wanting more. You know, um, I've said before that when I mean, grant writing itself as an activity, as a sustain sustainability and capacity building exercise, um, it, it, it's fantastic. They're, they're fantastic activities to do, but they're only one cog in the wheel, if that makes sense. Um, there's other things that you need to do to solidify your communications capacity even before you're considering submitting for a grant proposal or or submitting a, pro, a proposal to a, a wealthy potential donor or benefactor or what have you um they're going to go funders are going to go when they receive your proposal the first thing they're going to do is check out what you're what you're about where are they going to go your website where else are they going to go your social media and if you haven't if you haven't posted anything since 2018, they're going to know that not only do you not prioritize, it's not that you don't have the capacity to maybe, um, not you don't prioritize communication in that way to be able to serve the people who need to know about your services, to, to be able to inform and educate. But also a lot of funders are looking for a thank you. <laughs> they're, they're, I mean, like, and they're looking to because that's a part of their mission as well. And I mean, it's not, it's, you know, not necessarily that they're trying to like, you know, pat themselves on the back or anything like that, but so many different grant process processes have the stipulation that you do so much in community outreach that is directly thanking them. That is, that, that is saying, you know, thanks to this $40,000 grant by the Ralph Wilson foundation, I'm just throwing out, you know, mm -hmm. throwing out a, a foundation here, but thanks to this, we are able to do this. We are able to serve these people. We are able to improve the lives 
of these people or to boost these these systems or continuums of services um, that as a result of this. So if you don't have that capacity or the, the or able to prioritize that type of communication, they're going to just push your grant proposal aside and go to the next organization that does have a good digital presence that doesn't have a digital graveyard when you, when you show up there, you know? So, so let's, that's the, uh, what's so that? Let's look at the why behind some of that for a second, if you're okay with that, because I yeah, think about was that, did that all make sense, Josh? Yeah, it did. It did a hundred percent. And I think, so it brings up questions and I think this would be really good to discuss. So let's hit it. So first of all, a nonprofit organization is typically charity oriented, right? The reason they exist yeah. in their mind is to serve uh, 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 some kind of population of people who are in need. Uh, so whether it's maybe like a suicide prevention group or whether it's a um, uh, uh, a group that serves uh, people in addiction and tries to help them in the recovery community or whether sure. it's uh, uh, an organization that's maybe a clearinghouse to help connect all of the churches together to help um, reach individuals and the needs that, that come up in their community. And those are all great things. That's the reason you do it because that's the heart that you have for serving your community or serving certain people groups or whatever. And what happens is we get then focused and fixated on helping those people, which we should do. But if you don't have the money to help those people, then you can't help those people. And so the, what we start to do is we start seeing the, uh, you know, the single mother who needs uh, formula for her baby, for example, as our primary target audience. Right. And while we do need to be able to communicate with that lady and let her know we have formula for her baby, she is not our primary target audience. Our primary target audience is the people who are going to help donate to help fund the formula for her baby. Yeah. So the people who make the mission possible in the first place. Right. But as, as Jimmy LaRose says, it's, you know, donors are your customers. Right. They, they pay to participate in the elevation of other people. And why do, they, why do they pay for it? There's they're, a lot of reasons, but what are some of those? So, they're, so if they're, I, they're motivations. They're, yeah. they're specific donor motivations. They could be literally anything. They, I mean, like, they, they could, some of them, have a, you know, I shouldn't say some of them, the majority of them have an issue that's very, very close to their heart because of an experience that they have had in their own lives or in their own families. So, so let's so, say, let's unpack that real quick. So if you have, if let's say um, that you are somebody who has struggled with, um, with, with, I'm trying to think of, of, of something that, that could, that could work. Let's say that, that you grew up I, in a home with, where you had food insecurity, right? Sure. So uh, you then, now that you're a successful businessman, want to help support that need. Right. And your reason for wanting to do that is because you care about it. But you also then, you what you what part of the reason you're giving is because you want to be able to see the fruit of that work. You want to know that what you gave is benefiting someone. Like you sure. actually want to see the fruit of that. You know, you, you said, here's a $10,000 in investment into meeting this food inssecurity need and i want to see that it worked <laughs> right you oh know? sure 
Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like that's why it's so it's so important not even to to you know the the verbiage that you use. Uh, don't don't call it a, a donation. It's a, it it is quite literally an impact investment, right? You know, imp, impact investment. So I mean, like that's that's a, a great way to look at it, honestly. So yeah, and then there's on the other side. I, I shouldn't say on the other side, but there are the the very 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 wealthy people out there. The I mean, the philanthropists and and whatnot. I mean, like they are looking to improve the human condition, but a lot of it is legacy. You know? Sure. It, it, and you have to you have to acknowledge that a lot of it is legacy. They are looking to. And I mean, like, it's not even necessarily that like a big ego is a part of it or anything like that, but they want to know for them, for their future generations and stuff moving forward in their families, you know, they, that they left something important behind. That's right. why things are named after people. That's why right. wings of hospitals are named after people, right. <laughs> you know, and scholarships carry people's names because of that legacy. So it's important to recognize that as well. Yeah. And, and so the, one of the things, and I think one of the reasons why there's often a breakdown there. So like a lot of charity is faith-based, not all charities are faith-based, right? But, but within that faith-based framework, there's this idea of humility. There's this idea of, of giving, whether, you know, giving in secret, and these are values and virtues within that community. And that's not a bad thing or a wrong thing. But if we carry that into the, the nonprofit sphere and the fundraising sphere, what ends up happening is we end up cutting off donors who may be giving uh, for legacy or even for ego. Right. Maybe they are giving for ego or maybe it's a I, I, Yeah, I mean, that's a part of it. I'm, I'm trying to be diplomatic yeah, yeah. in the way that sure. I'm framing it. But so, I mean, some donor donors give for all kinds of reasons. So so if someone's donating because they want their name out there in the public and if we approach it with um, with the, those virtues that we may hold in our our faith tradition that says that we don't give for the attention, you know, now. It, it, it's important for us to make sure that we're careful in how we how we approach that because some people are giving for the attention and in some cases it's not wrong to give them that attention. It doesn't cost you much to give them that attention. Oh, it, absolutely not. And 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 if they it's could be doing a lot worse with their money, they and right. with their money and power and influence, they could be doing a lot worse. You know, right. and, and there are certainly times when it would be inappropriate. You know, like like I think within the church, for example, like within within a very specific, you know, within that ministry focus, those virtues and those values and those principles kind of reign over. But I think when you start looking at, at those, those uh, nonprofits that are kind of, that are not the church itself, right? I think we can approach those things with a little bit more, more uh, allow people their pomp and circumstance if, if you want, like it doesn't hurt them at all to have you know, their name on something, you know, I, right. but I think that's where it breaks down is that we, we then apply that, that principle that we give in secret to say that someone who's giving for the wrong, what we, what we would view as the wrong motives that, that somehow they're giving wrongly or badly. And I, I don't think that's the case. You know, if they're giving to, uh, you know, a hospital foundation, so much money that they can name a wing after themselves because they want to see their name on a brass plate, let them. In fact, we should encourage it, and then we should make sure that everybody knows how awesome they are for donating, donating to that cause. Sure, sure. 
So either way, that's a that's a very very good explanation and a rundown of uh, donor motivations and and things like that and the the ways that you're trying to appeal to them. But mm-hmm. we're trying to emphasize that it's you know communicating through the digital realm, communicating through digital right. marketing, and 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 amplifying your messages your messaging across a multitude of platforms to be able to reach the people where they are. That is the point. So right. I mean, and you're you're trying to to a, a point that we made in a previous in a previous podcast episode. You're trying to leverage mm-hmm. nonprofit digital digital media and social media. Leverage the resources that are available to you and ex- exclusively available to you as a nonprofit organization to be able to promote your message very very cheap or free and get free training and things like that. You know, um, but also to have a very, very strong understanding of the tools that are available for you from your website, from your social media, from your email marketing, from your public relations, and how all of those come together to 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 form this very, very solid, well-rounded message that says, this is who we are. This is how our mission helps people outwardly focused, not necessarily what, what is so great about us, but how we are transforming lives as a nonprofit that you need to be able to communicate. And on that note, we have a uh, our, our call to action, Josh, is to visit where? <laughs> <laughs> grandriver.agency yes because we can help you because we can that help message. you with that stuff yeah, yeah absolutely we can help you with that because so, you know if we ask the question if we ask that question why do nonprofits ignore their digital presence i think the reason that most of them do is because maybe they just don't have the time or the know-how there's and, that yeah and and there may be the there's there may be the barrier that they don't think they should right but but I think that that's probably the biggest barrier is, is I don't, I don't really know how to do this. I, I don't, you know, or maybe I did it and I didn't get what I, I didn't get the results that I thought I should get because they didn't know how to do it, you know? Right. And I think that's where we can come alongside them to help them. Right. Absolutely. Well, the, yeah, there, there's the lack of understanding in that regard. There's the lack of uh, understanding that like just how important that is within the process. Cause I know that so many, especially the, again, the, the very small nonprofits out there that their, their, their whole philosophy is once we get this grant, we'll be good without, mm-hmm. w- while overlooking the million and one things that need to be done leading up to submitting that grant proposal. A lot of that being solidifying your communications capacity. Yeah. You know, um, so yeah, there's there, so there, there, some of them aren't necessarily ignoring their digital presence. Some of them might be ignorant for lack of a better term mm-hmm. as to they the don't importance know. of those activities. Um, there's a lot, what you come across a lot with, uh, the very small nonprofits is you have a very small team or a team of one mm-hmm. and they are so wrapped up and that's not, I mean, it's not an indictment of them. It's just the way that they're operating at the current 
time, they're so wrapped up in being able to, to launch their mission every single day that they can't do the capacity building activities behind the scenes. Right. To, <laughs> to get, to get them there. Or, I mean, like it, they may, they may do just enough that keeps their mission on, uh, maybe on like autopilot where they're, you know, they're, they're existing. They are a community resource. Let's say they're like a, a community, uh, food garden or something mm-hmm. like that, you know? Um, and, they may have existed for years and years and years and years and years and been a valued resource and served so many people, but they never were able to get to the point where they can scale right. and serve more people, which is the ultimate goal. Because what they're trying to do is accomplish their vision in a good nonprofit vision. And a lot of, a lot of nonprofits get this wrong is not like, well, we serve to, we serve or we exist to serve this subset of the population. And it's like this flowery language or whatever. The vision is actually the world that would exist because of your services that would come about in, in, in negate your existence to where you don't have to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Literally your vision, if you're like a food pantry or something like that is to end food insecurity is to make is to make it where you don't have to do that anymore and everyone is served and it i i know it's a obviously that's a very very pie in the sky kind of thing you know it's in it, there'll always be people who are unserved or underserved but um no, but that, it, has a, it has a permanence to your mission and and reminds you that your job isn't done that there are more people that need help yes you know? yeah. and it, it's hard because if you are involved with a nonprofit, you have to see, you you really have to see that you have multiple audiences that you're trying to reach. You're trying to reach the the indigent family that you're trying to serve or whatever that is, the, the person in crisis or the person in need that you're trying to serve. You want them to know about your services so right. that you can help them. But you are also trying to reach the people that are going to fund the work you do. And I think that so, and, and the people that are serving that fund the work you do, there are many things that they need to see. They need, uh, they want to know that what they're giving, that they're giving to a legitimate charity that's doing legitimate work and that is above board and not some front for the Italian mafia. Uh, <laughs> I, I probably shouldn't have said Italian. That might be offensive. Uh, <laughs> but whatever, you know, I think everybody knows the mafia is Italian, but yeah. you know, you know, they want to know that they're actually serving a legitimate nonprofit that is above board, that has their finances in order, that is actually helping people. And if they don't, they're not going to give to it. Right. And, you know, and so like, so some of your messaging can be about how you're using what you're using and proof, you know, that, that kind of, Hey, look, we, we use this to, to build this thing that we needed to do so that we could help these people. And, Right. Yeah. There's so much that you can communicate to be able to help appeal to the people you're serving, but then also to appeal to the people that are funding you. Right. Well, I think there's two parts to that because, you know, you're, I, I think what you're trying to get at is, is building that trust with funders that you mm-hmm. are legitimate and that you are a, uh, uh, worth a worthy steward mm-hmm. of their, of their money. 
you know, that, that you are going to do what you say. And all of that, that information has a great place in the organization's annual report mm-hmm. <laughs> where they can go through, they can dig through the finances and they can see broken down in very, very understandable, easily digestible ways. Yeah, they can see a pie chart and you can see mm-hmm. exactly where the budget went to that year. And if you don't even trust that, go and check out their IRS 990. You'll see all their expenditures and stuff, but there's that. But I, on a more, uh, on the day-to-day scope, it's more important with your messaging to to improve your messaging that's, you know, not necessarily, f- you know, uh, a rundown of how you're spending money or anything like that. But I've said before that your your messaging needs to be outwardly focused. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, your your social media posts, your blogs, your your bi weekly newsletters to stakeholders and other members of your community. It needs to be outwardly focused, not so much about, hey, we're this organization and we do great work. And this is our CEO or our executive director, and he or she does great work and they're, you know, they do great work in the community. People don't care. (laughs) They don't care about that. They want to see the actual story, the, the human storytelling of the person whose life or the, Mm -hmm. the people whose lives have been improved as a result of those services. Right. They do not, they do not care that the CEO's life has been, improved by your donation. <laughs> well, I, I, I always go go back to that because I've seen that a number of times in different places that I've worked in and other nonprofits that are around where the communication, the the public outreach through a variety of channels is literally a, just about what the chief executive is up to. You yeah. know, it, it, it's a it's a glorified patting on the back every single day about how great this person is. When when the story needs to be about all of these the, these myriad programs that are available to and how they're actually helping people and illustrating yeah. stories that way and in 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 not just in 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 the written word but in multimedia storytelling with you know <laughs> a, a picture. Uh, pictures worth photos worth a thousand words. If you can make video, you can take video with your phone. You can record an interview with your phone of a a person whose life has been improved by your nonprofit mission. It's never been easier to do that today. And you you can do it in a way that doesn't humiliate. Cause I think that might be a block, right? Like I don't want to make I don't want to make this person look bad. And so, you know, I don't want to make this person look needy. I don't want to break confidentiality because a lot of times like people come to get help and, and there is a confidentiality barrier where, where they don't want everyone to know they're getting help. But if you are thoughtful and careful about how you do that, and if you select someone and ask them, would you be willing to share? And if they say no, then that's not the person, you know, mm-hmm. but or there, is there a way that you could tell the story without revealing the person even, you know, is there a way you could tell the story about someone that you helped or how you helped without a person's face, if that would humiliate that person, right? There's so many ways that you can craft that story so that your target audience, right? Your customers who are your donors so that they can see that the, 
the $50 or the $50,000 gift that they gave last week had a real world impact because that mm-hmm. gives them what they want. When, when they gave that gift, they wanted the warm feeling that they're doing something good in the world. That's why right. they gave, you know, a lot of times that's why they gave it. And so then when they're scrolling on social media and they see that the, you know, the, the Pittsburgh, uh, sock foundation gave socks to 50 homeless veterans, you know, because of yeah. that donation of 50 bucks and they bought 50 pair of socks and then they gave 50 away. That person that gave the 50 bucks gets to see that I just helped somebody. I just helped right. somebody like a real person, not just a weird foundation. And I think that really adds the value that oh. you need to be adding to your social media and your digital presence. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Back to your point about the um, perhaps not identifying people Mm -hmm. or uh, telling a story in such a way, tells a story about how a person's life has been improved, but doesn't necessarily identify them as the face Mm -hmm. of food insecurity or the, the face of domestic violence services or something like that because there's certainly i mean like there's the mm-hmm. there's the part where people might not want to be identified in that but then there's also the legal part of it where they should shouldn't and absolutely should not be identified because they are a survivor of some sort of trauma mm-hmm. you know right. in and in those cases you can still tell their story tell their story through a a surrogate or a conduit, someone, someone else who can speak on their behalf. Mm-hmm. Like if you're talking about domestic violence services, maybe you're a nonprofit that exists to support victim or survivors. I'm sorry of, of domestic and, and sexual violence. Um, and your goal is not only to, provide resources and support and comfort and care to these individuals as they enter your sphere, but also to, in a lot of these cases, your, your mission may also be to help prosecute Mm -hmm. those cases to work alongside the criminal justice system to ensure that justice is done in those cases. Um, In that case, who better to speak on behalf of those individuals, then perhaps the district attorney, someone who is, is prosecuting those cases who can tell that story, not identifying who those, those individuals are, but they can say that because of this, because of this organization or alongside this organization, we have put away, you, you know, 74 new uh, criminals <laughs> that, right. that have, have done this, or, or we have seen an uptick, an uptick in the, the number of those incarcerated due to better capacity of evidence gathering. We were able to gather better, more and better evidence to put these people behind bars where they can no longer cause damage. And in involved in that continuum may be the, uh, the, reducing of recidivism rates, you know, it, uh, the individuals that those who are incarcerated because of, you know, uh, violence of, of some sort that they have access to resources while they're in, while they're incarcerated that 
help them to, you know, maybe address some mental health issues to uh, re-enter society when their time, when their time has been served and um, have <laughs> access to other resources that, that, you know, improve their quality of life that have them that help them to find employment and things like that. So, I mean, all of that is part of the story without necessarily talking to the person who was hurt. Right. The, the person who was directly hurt. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I do think that that's the key is recognizing and understanding that it is important to tell those stories. And so you can do it in a way that doesn't uh, harm anyone or make anyone feel, you know, bad. And yeah. if you do it, if you do it cautiously and thoughtfully, that's really the key, just thoughtfully, thoughtfully. But you, still, you still have to be able to tell those stories because the people that are supporting your work, right? They need, they need that, that recognition, right? They need to be able to see, wow, my donation is helping people. And you are at a time as a nonprofit that is unprecedented because before this, you had your newsletter, which only went out to a handful of people. You had right. your, you know, you, you had a very limited, a bit, you had the newspaper when you would send out a press release, uh, you had, a, you had uh, a very limited ability to tell people about what, what a difference you were making. You had very, very small opportunities. And now you literally have the entire world in front of you. Right. And, and if you tell that story well, you can get not only a lot of attention for now, again, not for yourself, right? Like if we're thinking like, oh, I don't want to put the attention on me. I'm not talking about that. You can get a lot of attention on your cause and you can recruit a lot of people to help you with that cause if right. you can tell your story well. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that, that we're encouraging people to start thinking about these things. But again, the, with that call to action, this is why we do what we do here. You know, if you're like, man, I really need to do that. I need to be able to communicate this nonprofit vision to more people. And you're just stuck. That's where we can help you. We can help you to craft your message, to get that message in front of people. Because yes, we can help you with grant writing. I mean, Kelsey is a whiz at that. But if we don't, if, if that's all we're doing for you, you're going to reach that many people, just a, just a pinch out of yep. how many people you should be reaching. And in fact, we can do all the grant writing for you and it may not even be successful if you haven't done the other leg work, which again, yeah. we can help yeah. you do. It, it's already incredible. Just the grant writing side alone, it's already incredibly competitive. So mm -hmm. even the best proposals, 70% of them get shot down, <laughs> if not more. I mean, like yeah. a, a lot of them. It's uh, I had mentioned that I equate it to grant writing. If you have a 30% success rate now, I, it, this isn't a, that's not a blanket statement though, because I mean, like you could be applying to the same, the same foundations and the same charitable trusts and the same different places over and over and over again and, and keep on getting funded. And you're like, well, we're funded like 90% of the time. What are you talking about? I'm talking about like organically reaching out to like a variety of different foundations, a variety of different funding sources and throwing it out there for the sake of improving your chances and bringing in even more money. If you endeavor along that path, which is ultimately the more fruitful path, you're going to be told no a lot. Mm -hmm. And you're especially going to be told no 
if your digital presence is terrible. If your communications capacity, as we said, is terrible, you're going to be told no a lot. So this is why you have to you have to do all of these communications things that are interwoven and interrelated and aligning and they're all in the same sphere. Uh, you have to you have to do all of them effectively to reach the the, the funders that make your mission possible. So let's make it, let's make an analogy then. So let's say you're applying for a job and your interview process, right? The interview process that you have, that is your grant application, your grant proposal that you're sending in. That's the interview process. But before they even call you in for the interview, they're going to want to look at your resume. They're going to want to see the education that you have, the experience that you have, the skill sets that you have. And if you don't have those things, they're not even going to give you an interview. Yeah. And, and I think that That's your interview- That's a great analogy, actually. Thank yeah, you for that. I think that your resume- is your digital presence. So that's your website. That's your social media presence. That's how other people are talking about you, right? Your time in publicity and things like that. Yep. That, that really, you know, if I Google your name, what comes up like that, that is your resume. And so that is your resume, that's a great way to put it. We want to help you with that. And, uh, you know, it, you can do the work on your own and that's fine. You know, and we want to support you in that. That's why we have a podcast. That's why we put blogs out because we want to support you in that process. But if you really want to have hands on from experts, that's what Grand River Agency wants to help you do. Yeah. And I think that merits it and to wrap it up quite nicely. The whole point was to <laughs> was to uh, kind of highlight the experience with this new client and all of the things that we are going to do to improve that presence for them. Yeah. Which is going to, I mean, like there we're going to go down right down through a checklist of things that desperately need to be done. Mm -hmm. They desperately need a new website. Their website right now functions as kind of like as a digital brochure that says we kind of exist, but the, the resources that could be put on there and, and the ways that it could be optimized, mm -hmm. it, it, search engine optimized, yeah. <laughs> number, number one, and also serving as a resource, like, you know, putting a calendar of events on there and things like that. The, the little things that all add up to communicating a better message. Like that's one of the main priorities. Another main priority is videography, shooting video commercials, which we've done for a number of clients. I mean, not video commercials for television, video commercials with, you know, like a main five minute thing that could be sent out in addition to a blanket case for support, a written case for support. Here's a five minute video of who we are and how we are impacting people. And more importantly, again, outwardly focused, perhaps some interviews of people whose lives have been improved so they can speak for themselves or someone can, you know, kind of speak to that for them. So the video and then, and then breaking down that video, which is what Josh is so tremendously good at breaking down that video into 30 to 60 second snippets to be easily shared the most poignant parts of that video easily shared on social media. So, so not only do you have, written information coming out about your cause and different things that are coming up and different calls to actions to donate. Um, you have this supplementary video material that just speaks volumes and you're just scrolling through. People are going to find it, you know, where, wherever they're most active in the digital realm, wherever they're most active on social media. 
Another thing is building building their uh, social media presence to include more platforms. Right now, they're currently mm -hmm. just on Facebook. Right. I mean, what more could what more could they accomplish if they have an Instagram? How many more donors can they reach? Right. Potential donors can they reach with their message on LinkedIn? The professional crowd. It's going to be two different, distinct types of messaging. Mm -hmm. But that needs to be there to reach them as well. So all of these things are coming together to form this multimedia machine that builds your case for support as a nonprofit. And that's the whole point of this. Yeah. Does that wrap it up kind of succinctly for you, Josh? Yeah, I think it really does. I think it definitely answers the question that we asked in the title of our interview, which was... <laughs> nonprofits... What is, what is it? <laughs> I got to go back up. <laughs> Just, I, I knew, I knew the swear in there. Nonprofits. What the f are you thinking? <laughs> oh my gosh. So it's really funny. Cause we, you have a funny uh, story, don't you? I do have a funny story. I always right have there. a funny story. So, yeah. um, so we, we kind of went back and forth on, are we going to swear in our podcast? Are we not going to swear? And I think we found a good balance. <laughs> Hopefully you might be watching this and being like, they did not find a good balance, but I don't know. Um, I said it thrice. You said it thrice. And yeah. you said dolphin noises thrice. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so I try not to cuss. I mean, if I stub my toe or hit my head, you know, I try not to like, yeah, that's, that's it, your thing. It, it, occasionally, you know, I mean, you've probably heard me swear a few times. But a time or two, yeah. I, it's, I'm it's, definitely more about it than you. You know, and my wife, who was a Sunday school for like twenty, a Sunday school teacher for twenty years, and a, is now a pastor, like almost never cusses, almost never. Like if a if a car almost hits her on the highway, like it takes like a near death experience to get the s word out of her, you know. <laughs> uh, so we're sleeping in bed one night. And my wife always like, she's a sleep talker and will say and do really weird things when she gets tired. She, you know, she'll say all kinds of random stuff that doesn't make any sense because she'll be like half asleep and she'll be starting to have a dream. And then that dream appears to her to be real. And then she'll react to it. And her reaction ends up being out loud, you know? So we're laying in bed right. one night and she fell asleep and I'm not asleep yet. And she jumps straight up out of bed and like, you know, like brushing herself off and yells, this is an exact quote. And you have to listen to the whole thing. What the fuck? And it stops there. It doesn't finish the word. <laughs> and I'm like, what's going on? And she had a dream that a mouse ran up her pajamas, you know? Oh. And so she was trying to get it out. She thought it was real. And so I, te I laughed so hard. I think it woke up all the kids like, and everybody's like, what's going on? And I'm like, I couldn't stop laughing because, you know, she can't even swear in her sleep. <laughs> That's so funny. That's uh, a great story. Yeah, it is a crazy story. So, did, 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 Okay, so she's like asleep doing this or whatever. Did you inform her later? I Yes. Yeah. We tease, we tease her about it all the time, actually. Like that's, oh, okay. that's one of our, our fun stories to tell when the family gets together. She loves it when we make fun of her. Right. That's just... <laughs> sure she does. So, yeah, but you know, cause that's, that's the, the real question. Like, like I, I try not to cuss. I hate, I don't hate cussing. It's just like, you know, I guess I was just kind of raised that way. And so like, I mean, unless it's like 
unless there's pain involved or, you know, whether that's physical or deep emotional pain, I just usually don't. Uh, but I'm not offended when other people do. I mean, on my own podcast, you know, I mean, my guests swear all the time. Right. Uh, you know, and I don't I don't see a need to censor that, you know, uh, in that realm. You know, although it is a good question to ask for us as a business, like where do we stand on that? And and we're figuring that out. You know, we don't want to alienate anybody with it. And right. And you have well, really- it, yeah, that, that's the whole point. You know, it, it, it only do it when it's necessary to mm-hmm. drive home a point, which is what we were doing here. Right. You know, because I, I think that most people would be generally open to it and understand it and you know understand it for what it's worth and pick up on that. But then there are other people because everyone is different who might right. think a little bit differently. So we're going to try to cater to them as well and, you know, try to do it as respectfully as possible while still driving home the point because, you know, that's part of our brand is to be fun and loose and everything like that. And, yeah. and to be who so we are, we're yeah. going to do what we have to do, you know, sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. And, and like, yeah, it's just fun and it's a funny story and, I think we that had a really we had a fun discussion about it last night because you know like when we when we're working on a project and we send it to each other to like proofread it you'd be like did I take all of the cuss words out of that is there any of- <laughs> <laughs> what's the what is the phrasing that I use there you don't have to say it <laughs> you can say it you go ahead you know what <laughs> so if I am <laughs> if I'm writing a blog post or editing another blog post by one of our other team members and for a client or something like that. Uh, and I'll, I'll send it off to Josh often just to have a quick look at it for review, you know, because no one's perfect. Um, and I will say, did I <laughs> just make sure there's no or in it? <laughs> <laughs> and that comes back from my newsroom days. Yeah. Back when, I, when I was in, when I was a news reporter, and <laughs> we're, we're on deadline, you know, <laughs> editing, editing stories, things are already on the page and stuff like that. And yeah. it's just give it, give it one more look, one more look over, one, re- more, one more look to make sure there's no in there before it goes to print. I remember so, a few years ago when the local newspaper ran an article and they quoted somebody that used uh, that word. They, they were at a public meeting and <laughs> I think I'm going to swear to explain this one, which is rare, really? right? So they're, they're at a public meeting and they're having a, like, I think it was in counter sport and they were having a real hard time getting, uh, it was a traffic issue and they had all this traffic coming in and they were funneling them all into one street because there was detours and road work. And this, this old dude gets up and he goes, I don't know what the heck you guys are doing, but it's like you're trying to shove 10 pounds of in a five pound bag. <laughs> And so that sounds like a public meeting in Countersport. Yeah. And the news. So I I wrote the article and I'm like, guys, I'm going to put this quote in here and I'm going to let the editors determine what they want to do with it. And he's like, well, it was said at a public meeting, so we're going to run it. Oh my gosh. We got so many letters, so many letters after that. (laughs) Right. That's crazy. Um, I have another, a a story of about something like that. If that's okay, I, I don't yeah. know how much time we have. Yeah, it's our podcast. I mean, like, now we're now we're just getting into the purpose of swearing <laughs> in communication or whatever. Because I, I mean, that brings up a valid point of is it if it's part of a direct quote in like a news article, is it 
important to leave it is it important to leave it in there i mean like as an editor you have the discretion to you could have it maybe in parentheses say expletive mm -hmm. where everyone else will know it's just it's the equivalent of bleeping it out on television that sort of thing where everyone knows what is said mm -hmm. but you know <clears throat> but it's out of there and and we and, and we as the people publishing this information aren't a part of that you know Right. but you understand the context um but is it <laughs> in probably probably i'll say 98 percent of the instances it's just not important to put it in there it's a word that adds literally no value to the no value no further context or anything it's just a it's a swear word just to say a, a swear word and to emphasize something you know the the, the f word is an emphasizer of a, of a powerful emotion that sort mm -hmm. of thing you know um so i was covering a murder trial earlier in my career as a as a news reporter and there was a man who was put on the stand who was uh with the person was convicted and is now in prison the the it was quite quite clear and the jury the jury believed it that this uh this person <laughs> this person killed that killed that individual um this guy was in the car with him that night where he was shot and he was an eye obviously an eyewitness to what happened but he was also uh let's just say uh not a very this witness was not a very reputable character not a very intelligent person um didn't understand the purpose of cross-examination by attorneys who are trying to find faults in your logic and story and things like that so he's being repeatedly asked the same question to see if by the defense attorney to see if uh his story would change you know and he was getting very visibly, visibly aggravated by this because he didn't understand why he was being repeatedly asked these mundane questions. You know, it's something that doesn't even seem, you know, material to the case, but for the purpose of the defense, poking holes in the story and getting someone to change it up a little bit and it, it would, would, be cause potentially for reasonable doubt. That's mm -hmm. the whole point, you know? So this witness being very visibly aggravated and upset with it eventually got up and was in points at the defendant and goes, he shot that man. Like, and he said it several times and he's, he's standing up in court. Now the, the judge, because that's not a response to a direct question, and it's just this, basically this blanket accusation by this guy who, you know, even though he's a witness or whatever, he has no more credibility. He has no authority to make that accusation and, and especially any more than law enforcement, you know? So that, that, um, statement was, was struck, was struck from the record, you know, and the jury was instructed not to consider that in their deliberations because it wasn't a direct response to a question and all that. But from a news perspective, me being the one in the courtroom, uh, 
an, an open courtroom at that where literally anyone can walk in off the street and witness this and it's part of the i mean like it's stricken from the record but anyone can come in and witness this um i kept that in the, in the story you know in, in all i did was i put the the in parentheses i said expletive everyone understood that it was he effing shot that man or whatever you know but like that point of emphasis was important enough for me to put that in the story because it was such a powerful moment in that case yeah. so yeah that that was a crazy god that was a while ago that was a crazy crazy incident doesn't that sound insane <laughs> it does it does dude we it's really cool that we've got so many crazy stories like that uh from our time in journalism and uh, you know, just the, the things that we've seen, the people we've met and it, I don't know, man, like we're either fun at parties or we're really annoying at parties. I haven't quite figured that out. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've given up on parties. That was back in the day. I'm going to say you're not, not party. <laughs> well, I, I think we've had a really good conversation today, man. So how, where do we tell people to go, man, if they want to connect with the work we're doing? All right. Well, you can head to grandriver.agency where we have a volume of materials, educational materials, blog posts, uh, case studies, things of that nature that can help inform your decisions along the way to improving your digital presence or whatever strategic communication you're trying to accomplish. You can go to stratcom.live, which is the host, uh, which is hosting this podcast essentially. And there too is a lot of very, very helpful information and blog posts and things that are going to point you in the right direction to doing the things that you need to do as uh, an organization to improve your professional communications. Yes, definitely. So make sure guys that you, uh, if you like this podcast, if it's helpful, share it with a friend, subscribe, leave a rating and review, tell your friends about what we're doing here, guys, because our hope is to, to help you to grow your small business or nonprofit. And that's what we really want to make happen. So we all have a story to tell. Let's tell it well. <laughs>